Welcome to the IMO podcast. Honest and open conversations with care leavers. Hello, it's Chris with the IMO podcast. And today we are talking to Ryan Houston. Ryan, welcome. Thanks for joining us. Now, you are an award-winning presenter, a journalist, a producer. You have written for Huffington Post and you are the editor of Queer News UK. And on top of this, Ryan, you have interviewed people like Steps. Yes, Ryan Houston, you've interviewed Steps. Joe McKeldry, Bimbo Jones and Alphabet. I'm not quite sure I know who Alphabet are. Uh, but aside from writing and presenting, uh, you've worked on a number of charitable projects. Uh, and you've set up your own charity within the LGBT community in Sunderland. Uh, and you were chair of Sunderland Pride. And if that wasn't enough, Ryan, you have recently been nominated for the Positive Role Model at the National Diversity Awards 2019. Congratulations on that nomination. How did <laughs> that you. come about? The nomination for the National Diversity Awards was a bit of a surprise, so that just kind of came out of the blue. It's the second or third time that I've been nominated over the years, so it's always nice to be to be recognised for the work that I've been involved in, particularly with LGBTQ. And what is the work that they're recognising you for? So it's work with projects like Sunland Prize all those years ago. More recently, it's work with Rainbow Foundation up in Sunland um, and the LGBTQ Northeast Awards that that project runs. And are they projects you set up yourself or are yeah, they projects you joined um, in? So the Rainbow Foundation was a, a charitable project that I set up from Leaving Sunland Prize. That's been going for the past couple of years. And then part of their project work is the LGBTQ Northeast Awards, um, which is an award ceremony that's held around International Day Against Homophobia in May. Mm-hmm. And those awards recognise individuals, groups and organisations that do positive contributions to the LGBT community in the Northeast. And do you think third child's a charm? <laughs> Hopefully. Do you know, for me, it's, about, it's, it's lovely to be nominated. It will be nice to win, like a trophy, just, you know, something to take home. But it's, it's great to be nominated. It's great to be recognised for the work. You know, for a long time, there wasn't kind of recognition for the work that LGBT people did for their community Yes. Um, for, a, for such a long time. So it's nice that actually things like the National Diversity Awards are there and promote the great work that's done. I'm never going to win it uh, because Drew Dalton's nominated, who <laughs> who's a lecturer at the University of Sunderland, who is absolutely amazing. Um, he's 100%, you know, more deserving than I am. Oh, um, I don't know. But it's it's great to be nominated. Well, never say never. We'll cross our fingers for you. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, so you're studying at the moment. You're studying journalism, is that right? I study broadcast media, well, media production um, at the University of Sunderland. And tell me about that. What got you into that uh, that profession? So years ago... My interests were always radio and journalism. Yeah. Um, so media production was kind of like a, a good route to go down, involving radio and journalism. Um, so this year in particular, I look at I study media ethics, media law, and the the production side of of media. So it's an interesting kind of degree. You know, when it's not kind of like the usual thing that people people expect to come out with. And what route did you take to get into into that that area? My route was pretty standard. So from from leaving school with GCSEs, I went to college and did A-levels. A-levels were quite standard. It was, you know, English literature, English language and um, psychology. So it was nothing particularly edged towards media. But it was, for me, getting into uni, it was about the the voluntary experience that I had. So while I was at college, I was working for a magazine in um, Leeds um, called Bent Magazine. And that's where I interviewed all the people that that I did. Um, Steps. Steps, yeah, Bimbo Jones. I, do you know what? I'd forgotten about them until you kind of mentioned <laughs> them. I, I do always remember interviewing Alphabet and Steps because they were like the big ones. They were the things that I kind of like put on my CV and my LinkedIn because they, they were my favourite interviews. Yes. And Alphabet gave us a signed album. 
Really? Which I still have, yeah. Didn't they turn down the Spice Girls? Are they the people that they were going to go on tour with the Spice Girls, but they turned them down? I think so, yeah. Because they had their own kind of... They were, A lot of people now don't know who they are. Yeah. But back when I interviewed them, and obviously I would say this, but when I interviewed them, they were actually really, really good, and people <laughs> people knew who they were. Um, but Bimbo Jones was amazing to interview. So I don't know who these people are, and it just makes us feel quite old. No, no, they're still famous. Everybody knows who Steps is now, because they came back. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah. Steps are scarred on some of our memories. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but back to you. You've got your interest in, in journalism and you've done your GCSEs, you've done your A-levels and then you just rock up at, at, at Sunderland. As a care leaver, do you think there was enough support for you to, to get you into university? For me, it I never asked for it. So can't really comment. I, f- I always felt like the, it was there if I needed it. Mm-hmm. Um, and from people I've spoke to, obviously there's a there's a lot of stigma attached to care leavers in university. You know, people say that not enough care leavers go. I think the figure that it's about 6% um, attend. But from everybody that I've spoken to who's, who is a care leaver and attends university, they've never experienced the barriers. Mm. Um, so these barriers seem to be from um, the media, you know, and, and that's what's getting reported and that's what's getting written about. But actually care leavers themselves haven't experienced it that I've spoken to and I certainly didn't. The barriers that, that you're saying the media are talking about, what are they, even though that you didn't, you know, you've not experienced them? What, yeah, what so do the, we think they are? So I think they kind of, it's been reported that care leavers feel like they don't want to go to a university because they won't be supported right. internally by the university. You know, maybe their needs won't be understood. Even though I didn't kind of necessarily ask for help, I'm aware of the, the services that are available within universities mm. um, and the care leavers team. So for me, in, you know, in my experience, the, there is support there. There's a dedicated care leavers yeah, team within your... In, in the majority of universities. In the majority of uni- yeah. universities. So you, the, in theory, the support should, yeah. should be there. You've spoken uh, very openly. I've, I've read what you've written about your experience of being care. You were looked after from the age of three. Uh, and you said that for a long time you hid your, your care identity. And, and now you don't. You, you know, you're very open. What changed for you in that respect? For me, it was probably getting... Grown older, I think. You know, as as you get older, you kind of understand it more. You understand the experience, and you stop caring what people think. You you know, once you once you're kind of happy in your own self and your own kind of identity, other people's opinions don't really bother you. You know, certainly, like I'm 25 now, I don't really care if people judges or, or you know dislike me. The people that I enjoy being around know me. Do you know what I mean? That that does that suits me. And what was the impact on you of having hidden your 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 care identity, or you know, having experience of being in care? It didn't really. It never came up. You know, it, it's one of those things that I think a lot of care leavers will experience. You know, when is there a situation where your care leaver status needs to be mentioned? You know, what what impact does that have on somebody knowing? Why do they need to know? And the answer is they don't. That's your personal choice if you want to share it. I mean, really, you know. You say that it's. I, I've, I talk openly about it. I've only really spoken openly about it for the last six months. Um, when I got my care files and I started talking about it. Mm. Before then, it never really got discussed. The only person that I ever told, aside from my family who knew, was the person I married. You know, it, it wasn't openly known because it didn't really need to be. What led you to want to read your your care files? So I had them years ago and never really read them. For me, at the time when I was about eighteen, nineteen, it was more about me having them and someone else not. Um, so I had them and never read them and then moved house and kind of lost them. But I wanted to, to get them back and actually properly, properly read them because I think it's really important. They are, for me particularly, I mean, I was in care for 15 years. That's a huge chunk of, of my identity and I, I wanted to, to know. I think I underestimated it. Um, I think I didn't really consider how much personal stuff would be in them. And I, looking back, I wish I'd got more support in reading them when I, you know, when I f- first got them because I, I, it really hit me 
more than I thought it would. But I'm glad that I got them. What is it that really hit you? What were you not expecting? It's it's personal things. It, it's things, you know, I think, I mean, I got them and I remember going on the bus home and reading them and it was just like social work reports and stuff and I was like, oh, I'm getting really bored of this. And then there was just a page, you know, where I think I was four years old and a social worker talks about um, Ryan said he's really excited to go home with his mum and, and put stockings up for Christmas and that just really tugged on my heartstrings, you know, and it really hit us because that's not the kind of thing that you kind of expect. It's, it's I think I underestimated how personal it would be. I think I expected it to be kind of social worker reports and psychology reports and stuff and school reports and I didn't actually consider the personal aspect of them and that's why I wish I kind of got more support from it but that doesn't take away from the fact that I'm I'm glad that I have them I'm glad that I've had an opportunity to read them because it has helped us you know shape an opinion on my identity and it certainly made it easier for me to be able to talk about it Mm. from reading the care files. What support were you offered when you when you first asked for them? When I first asked for them it was really difficult emails so when I first asked for them years ago I had a great worker who put the request in um, and I think it took about two years to get them which is just ridiculous the time frame um, I know the children's commission has already you know brought this brought this up um, the amount of time that it takes to get care files that's getting worked on and some councils have, have gone leaps and bounds to to fix that issue the second time hadn't really got much better when I asked for them this is only in the last year emails got bounced around and bounced around within the leaving care team so I actually got really sick and I just emailed the council myself and said look these are the files that I want and by doing that I got them within about three days so it depends you know if if you really if you push for it it proves that the barriers that might be in place to get them can completely be eradicated and you can actually just you know cut the middleman out and get them yourself. Was there anything in there that that gave you hope and made you feel good about your experiences of being in care? Not really. The I suppose the good things the good things were the school reports, particularly the negative school reports. When you get them, you have an opinion on teachers and social workers yourself. And I always felt like teachers were against me, particularly in primary school. In secondary school, teachers were against me, but kind of social services were 100% on my side. Um, and there's, you know, there's copies of emails where the school are being incredibly difficult and my social workers kind of 100% got my back. And again, you don't see that at the time. No. You feel like everybody's against you, but actually when you get to sit back and read them, you'd see a totally different side where the battles that you felt, your social work was actually feeling them as well and, and they were standing up for you. But at school, at primary school, I always felt like teachers were against us. And actually from reading the letters, there are you know dozens of letters where the school is writing to the council and writing to social services saying this child needs help, we're not getting it. And it totally changes your mindset. And you kind of realise that actually all those years that you thought those teachers were behind you, um, sorry, were against you, they were actually fighting for your benefit. I wonder if it might have helped to have known that at the time, if you felt no one was on it, your side. It probably would have. But it's also really interesting, you know, how, how the care files demonstrate how wrong social services can get it. All through the files. I mean, I think, you know, the regular... I mean, what made me laugh, and it's still the quote that makes me laugh, where the parts of the files are copy and pasted. Because I had, you know, over two dozen social workers, mm. probably in the 15-year period at least. And the, the phrase that constantly gets repeated is it made me laugh Ryan's big blue eyes my eyes are green and that just that is laughable that yeah. is laughable that they got that wrong and from one person to getting it wrong it just completely got copied but the thing that really stuck in my throat and, and what really angered me which is why I emailed the, the head of social services about it was you know particularly as a teenager social workers wrote Ryan is a really happy lad I was battling depression I was on antidepressants mm. and that was constantly put in every statement and that really annoyed us because if you're going to write it, you know, if social workers are going to write that, 
without really knowing. It just, what's the point? Did anyone ask if you were happy or not? Where did they get that from? No idea. But in none of those forms did I ever say, I'm really happy. It's like they're describing a different person because yeah. they've got the colour of your eyes wrong and, and I mean, your, your, your mood. There was two or three social workers where actually, when you read through the reports, they were my social workers and there was records of the meeting is um, and doing things with us and I'd never met them. Yet there's there's pages and pages that they've wrote about us. They've never, I'd never met I've them. never met you. And then it, months and months later in the files, it comes out that they've never met us. So what did you email the, the, uh, the, the, the head of social services with? For me, I mean... Looking back, I wish I hadn't have done it because I think no, because I think I did it in anger and I was upset. I had a really bad day. I'd got the files, you know, got upset on the bus, you know, crying at the at the, some of the personal stuff, and I just felt like really annoyed by it. So looking back, I wish I'd kind of sat and calmed down about it beforehand because doing something in anger it doesn't really help anything. But I kind of emailed saying, you know, look, this these things were written about me without really knowing. They had no idea and they got it so wrong. And I even said in the email, I'm not after an apology. I don't want an apology. I want you to fix it so that it doesn't happen to other people. Because it just, not only does it cheapen the experience for that person, you know, to get the colour of someone's eyes wrong that they're meant to be meeting once a week. How do you do that? Mm. And then how do you repeat that through an entire file? But particularly, you know, what I did say, say in the email is, is, you know, work to fix it because it does make an impact. Mm. These, these people getting it wrong. And she was actually brilliant about it. You know, she she replied, she, you know, she said, I accept that you didn't want to reply and I accept that you didn't want an apology, but I'm, I'm going to give you it anyway because you, you were wronged by the experience that you had. And that's how I ended up speaking to the Leaving Care team to, to try and make sure that those errors that were made on repeatage. You've uh, written in, you wrote us a lovely blog, Ryan, and, and one of the things you said is for some people it's hard to say, I'm a care leaver. Is it still hard for you to say that? It's not, again, it's not something that I feel needs to be discussed but it's not something that bothers me discussing you know there will be some people who really feel that they don't want to talk about it they don't want to tell someone that and that's their choice that is completely them but there's no issue with there's no it's not a negative to say i was in care to say i'm a care leaver that's not a negative no not thing so. to say and that shouldn't affect anybody's opinion on you so as if you don't want to talk about it and you don't want to say it that's absolutely fine but it should never be something you feel is a negative because i felt that for years that it was a negative thing yeah Looking back, particularly through the files, it makes you remember the good people and slightly remember the bad people. So looking back at the files, I remember a fantastic social worker I had who was just brilliant, who I kind of opened up to. And particularly around, you know, it's hard when you... Because obviously going into teenage years and stuff, I mean, through the files, it's mentioned that, you know, I'm really closed, I don't speak to them. But with this social worker, you know, I talked about um, sexual health and general health and stuff. I was really close to her. Looking back in the files, it's good to see that I did have a close relationship with them. But in 16, you know, 15, 16 years, to have one close relationship with a social worker is not great. That close relationship, you don't have any control when that, that ends, really, do you? Because if that social worker leaves, then you're just... You're and just that happens quite a lot. I, I'm not sure about now. Obviously, I've been, I've been out of the system for about um, seven years. But, I mean, some of the social workers I had, I had them for a fortnight, maybe less. There was just so many changes. If... There was nothing, you know, social workers were not a constant back then for me at all. Um, you know, they changed so often. What did you need that you didn't get? See, I think every, I think everybody's different. I think everybody, for me, I just wanted to be left alone. I really wanted them to just leave us alone. Um, and that's so obvious when, you, when I'm reading the care files. It's repeated constantly throughout. He does not want to speak to us. He does not want to see us. Yet from doing that they just appeared more and more. And it was, you know, regular. It was weekly visits. I mean, even being like 15, 16, there's, there's record of contacts where I've deliberately gone out. 
because I knew they were coming. I've deliberately not gone home. That is a warning. You know, that that should have been a sign to someone that I didn't want to speak to them. Yeah, they still continued. So I think it's about social workers recognizing, not just social workers recognizing what care leavers want, but care leavers actually speaking to sort and saying, look, this isn't working for me. This is what I need. This is what I want. Rather than perhaps making the system fit you. Yes, yeah. Because so, it doesn't fit everybody. No. Everybody's different. You know, there are care leavers who, who really need support, who for whatever reason, you know, have gone down avenues where they, you know, they're really struggling. But actually, you know, I think it, it works both ways. You know, you need to have a fantastic relationship with social workers or leaving care teams to be able to go to them with anything. Mm. Particularly leaving care. Um, one of the workers I had, it was called Claire. She was absolutely amazing. And I had a fantastic relationship with her. I went to her with everything. But you need the right people. You know, you need people to build that relationship and nurture that relationship where you can go to them for anything when you need it. If you could go back and just say something to yourself, like say something to younger Ryan, is there is there anything you would tell yourself when you were younger now that might have just changed your journey a little bit? I think I got quite annoyed by it back then, back with all the social workers, with everybody who was involved. You know, I was getting sent to play therapy and child psychologists and you know, the leave and care education. And there were so many different people. I never knew where I was at. I never knew, you know, what was happening or who was speaking to us. There was just so many different faces. And I think I would tell me, you know, myself, younger self, that eventually they do leave you alone. You know, that it does go away. Because at the time, it felt never ending. Every week, it was a different person. Um, and I think that's why, looking back, the, the positive people and the positive relationships I had were the ones that stuck around, who are the regular faces, who, who I've seen week in, week out. I mean, you know, one who worked for the education department, I think I worked with him for about eight years. Even when I didn't necessarily need to do it anymore, I still attended to see him because I had a, such a fantastic relationship with him. And that consistency is, is important, I mm-hmm. guess, for you to feel that there's someone regular that you know that isn't, yeah, that isn't changing, that isn't going to write you a letter or send mm-hmm. you an email and say, oh, I've, I've got a job somewhere else or, yeah. you know. And, and what, is, what is that a feeling like of having a file and knowing that there's information that you couldn't access at the time and you can access it now and you have? What's it like to know that that just exists and people are reading and writing about you? It's hard because obviously the stuff that is written in my file goes back to... 1995 you know those people aren't even in the job anymore some of them have retired but to read their opinions and stuff it is quite infuriating because not all of it's good and i think anybody getting the files you need to be prepared for the worst as well because it's not all great but it is you know it's it's good to have had an opportunity to to look at them so on balance for you you'd say it's it's the right thing i guess it's different yeah, for everyone it's but... different for everybody but i think the way i always looked at it is if someone if there is a file i mean mine again 15 years in care my files are quite large some people's might not be but if there is that much information on you as a person and your history, mm. why should it just be in files and, and, you know, a draw somewhere? Why should they have it and not you? Even if, you, you know, that was my opinion back then. Even if I never read it, there might be a time when I want it. There might be a time when I want to look back and remember, you know, people. Because I think, you know, obviously everybody's care experience is different, but a lot of care leavers feel like feelings of rejection, that they weren't wanted as, as young, you know, young children when they entered care. And actually, sometimes the files demonstrate that you were and that there were people fighting for you, particularly in, in my files. And again, this comes in with the confusion. There was that many people involved that I had, you know, there's letters in there saying social services, I should go back to my maternal, you know, my mum. There's files from social, other social services saying, I can't go home. And it, it reminds you that the situation might seem clear to you now, but when you read the files and read the past, it's not actually as clear as you think it is. And it's not as easy as, as you might think it is. Do you feel your voice is in those files the, no. the, what you wanted no nah. at no point do i feel that anywhere in those care files 
again, it goes back to the confusion. There's, you know, there's demonstrations where social workers have said, Ryan wants to go home. This is what Ryan wants. But then there's other letters where it says, we can't, you know, even I think at one point a judge says, you need to listen to the voice of the child here. The child wants to go home. And then social services says, he's not going home. It's not happening. I mean, the most, for me, the worst part of the experience was that basically I was put into care and there was going to be a review that said, either I go home to my mum or I stay with my grandparents. The review should have taken six months. It took about five years. Um, and in that time, there's different, so, you know, there's about 20 different social workers saying he is going home, he's not going home, he should go home, he shouldn't. That was the worst part of the experience because at no point, even though in the files it says very early on it was decided that it was never, ever going to happen, I was still getting told it was possible. Ryan, you're openly gay. What's your experience been of growing up gay in the care system? Absolutely. You know, it, again, it, it's never been an issue. For me, growing up, you know, the one thing that, I've taken through education, through college, you know, through life is you've got to own it. If you are something, you've got to own it. And yes, it took us a while to own the fact that I was a care leaver, but I do own it now. Um, Sometimes something that you see as your flaw or your difference or your sexuality or your experiences can actually be your meal ticket. So through being gay, I got, you know, I've run LGBT charities. I've been nominated for LGBT awards. It's Which you're going to win. You're going to win. Well, potentially. (laughs) But it becomes your meal ticket. You know, it becomes the thing that pushes you on. So... Being LGBT has given me a hell of a lot to write about. You know, at times when there's been dry spells where I've had nothing to write about, you've always got your sexuality to fall back on. Or, you know, and now I've got the care experience to, to fall back on now because, you know, I can write about that now. But it's never been an issue and it was never brought up because, again, it was private. It's, you know, again, social workers, Claire, who was the connection advisor, that she knew. It was never an issue. You know, she met my husband. It, that was never... It was never any big thing. Claire wasn't phased by it and, and I never really thought about not introducing her you know it was it was never a secret but it was never something that I felt had to come up it was you know did you get the support you needed if, if you needed any support I think because of the relationship that I had with Claire if I needed it it would have been there yeah I didn't use it I didn't need it yeah um, so I can't be married <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> the time for support is over yes, he's married yeah. we, we, he's all right <laughs> but i think that's what they did perfectly you know some when it's done right you know a good worker will know exactly what you need and how you want it done and if you just want to be left alone and just you know ring them or email them or text them or however you want when you need something that works everybody is different some people need you know someone kind of holding the hand at every step and there's nothing wrong with that if that's what you need to get you further to get you, to get you where you want to be take it if that's getting off at you but for me i just wanted to be left alone to get on with it and that worked for me um what are you uh, what are you uh, looking forward to now what's what what's coming up for you that you're excited about i think when you when you've got projects and stuff that you love doing you don't really think about it as work you don't really think about it as stuff that's coming up it just becomes the norm but I have the LGBT awards, LGBTQ awards coming up in May, which is going to be amazing. Um, I'm working on a book that documents the life, uh, sorry, that documents the experiences of young people in care. Why? What has prompted you to write that book? Probably the care files, reading them, and the fact that there's not a lot that's mentioned. You know, the only book that I found was all the negative. And from reading the care files and talking, you know, talking to you and stuff, it, it makes makes you realise that it's not all bad. And from the people that I spoke to, all the all the care leavers who some are at uni, some have had children, different, you know, are doing different stuff. It's not all bad because obviously when I had the care files, I didn't really know anybody and didn't speak to anybody who was care a care leaver. And then from going on Twitter, you know, I've spoke to loads and I've met loads of people. We need some positive, you know, someone. We need something positive. We need to be able to, you know, for me, when I was growing up, actually. There was a presenter that I knew called Angelica Bell, maybe, who who was openly a care leaver. And I was like, wow, that's amazing. Like, look how good she's, 
how well she's done. She's presenter mm. on CBBC. Obviously now I look back and think a presenter on CBC it's not that good. But <laughs> at the time, as a, as a young person, I thought, wow, that's amazing, and she like kind of owns being a care leaver. That's what we need. We need some something to look at and go. He's done really well. She's done really well, and she's a care leaver. There's visibility. Yeah. So you uh, mentioned on Twitter a hashtag CEP care experienced person. Yeah. Has that been a positive thing to kind of link up stories? Yeah, so I got in touch, obviously when I was writing the book, I got in touch with someone who's running the Care Care Experience Persons Conference, um, which is going to be held in Liverpool shortly. Um, And that's when SEP kind of came up, because I hadn't heard about it. But basically it's a a hashtag that people are adding um, to identify as a Care Experience Person, so that you can talk. And actually, once you kind of find that hashtag, you realise that there's actually loads of people from so many different backgrounds. I've chatted to police officers, I've chatted to, you know directors of companies there's just so it's it's really broad and it makes you remember um because i actually i think i tweeted someone and i said oh i'm a care leaver and someone emailed um tweeted me back and corrected and she was like you're not a leaver you haven't left you'll always be a care experienced person and that is true but that is a hard pill to swallow to someone who hasn't kind of accepted it accepted their care leaver status tell us the title of your book it is life in care the experiences of young people when's it going to be published i thought it was going to be really easy because I'm a journalist and everybody was like, you'll be able to write it really quick. <laughs> writing, like journalism stuff and writing a book is completely bloody different. It takes so long <laughs> to put it all together. I'm hoping by me, hopefully, but I just underestimated it. Well, we won't hold you to it, but we are <laughs> looking forward to it. You've, you've decreed in this uh, in this podcast that you're writing, so you can't get out of it's it It's almost <laughs> there. I've got a solid 40 pages. I just need to do probably about 200 <laughs> 40 pages feels like a good start. <laughs> Who have you asked to contribute to the book? Um, a range of different people. So we, I originally approached, because a lot of it was around government. Um, so I contacted the Minister for Care and the Shadow Minister for Care, along with students, and we put the call out on Twitter. So a lot of people got back in touch. There's people who are arranging the, the Care Experience Conference. So people from all different backgrounds to kind of demonstrate, you know, it's quite varied. Where do you hope this book ends up? Who do you want to read it? Do you want children to read it or like people that work within the, the, the care system? I think professionals? both. I think both. I think someone who's a care professional who's, who reads the book, it provides them a great opportunity to kind of understand it from, really understand it from a care leaver's perspective because the people who are writing in the book are care leavers. Um, but even for me, there's, you know, I've interviewed um, some care workers who have brought up totally different issues than I ever considered. Um so yeah, it, it highlights a range of different issues. It's hard because when we talk to one person, that experience is, is their experience. And then to try and widen it out mm-hmm. and say, this is the experience of care leavers, to kind of translate something individual into something uh, with multiple people, that's quite difficult because everyone's experience is different, right? Yeah. So your book hopefully will shine a light on the on the kind of the different experiences yeah. of, of people. I think it, it shows the differences, but it also shows the similarities. So particularly with university students, a lot of them are saying that there are no barriers um, to getting into university, you know, your care leave status does not hold you back. Mm. Um, a lot of them are, are, you know, so there are repetition in it. There is repetition in it in the sense of, you know, breaking down the, that that stigma and barriers and stuff. But a lot of them are agreeing, you know, that the media give a, a negative portrayal of um, young people. So like the Lem Sassir documentary who that was on, you know, it reinforces that kind of view that we need to get rid of, of that kind of media portrayal. Um but a lot of them are, are saying, you know, that the stuff we're reading, the stuff we're seeing is not necessarily always the case. And there's positive... Yes. There's positive yeah. uh, stories out there. They just need to be heard and yes. given, given a voice, right? A positive story like yours. Uh, Ryan, thank you so much for coming to speak to us on the IMO podcast. We're so grateful for your time. If people wanted to find you on Twitter or Instagram, where can we do that? 
it's do you want this information out there not the Instagram because oh, there's sorry. too many. Um, there's too many. <laughs> there's too many selfies. No, I don't okay. mind. So uh, if you, anyone yeah. wants to find you on Twitter and not Instagram, <laughs> um, where can we find you? It's at it's it's what is it? It's at it's Ryan Houston. Great. We'll double check that <laughs> and uh, we'll put it online when we uh, when we post this. Ryan Houston, thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening. For more stories, experiences and advice from others in care, visit imohub.org.uk. You can also find us on Twitter and Instagram at imo underscore latest. <laughs>